And this week, from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. First things first. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. That expression, first things first, is a piece of counsel often given to the students of business techniques. It is, a, it is the advice of practicality to those who aspire to worldly success. But accordingly, accordingly to the Hermetic Doctrine, as above, so below, that which works best in one level of life is often the best guided to what we work best for every other level. If a person is true to his highest priorities, he will generally find that his other needs are fulfilled naturally as well. This is true, certainly, of the search for God. One of the greatest saints of Jesus Christ was this simple sentence in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Paramahansa Yogananda gave his elder brother Ananta a wonderful lesson in this truth. It was Ananta who had captured him and brought him back from his flight to the Himalayas. Described by Yogananda in Autobiography of a Yogi, in Yogananda's book, we read how Ananta later challenged him in the city of Agra to pit his divine faith against such a practical worldly considerations as the need for earning a living. Fearless before that challenge, the young aspirant agreed to go by train without any money to the nearby town of Brindaban, not to miss a single meal in Brindaban and to find his way back to Agra without begging and without in other way asking for help. In one of the most thrilling chapters in the, in the book, Yogananda fulfilled all the conditions to the test. <coughs> Yogananda continued the account. As the tale unfolded, my brother turned sober, then solemn. The love of the man and supply reaches into subtle realms that I had supposed, and that they spoke with a spiritual enthusiasm never before noticeable. I understand for the first time your indifference to the values and vulgar accumulations of the world. Late as it was, my brother insisted that he receive diksha initiation into Kriya Yoga. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the ninth chapter, those who worship leather gods to their gods, but those who worship me come to me. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Welcome you all to Sunday service. My name is Atman. This is Bhakti Mark. It's our pleasure 
to join those of you who are here with us, those who are here at the Expanding Light to reprogram their brains <laughs> on personal retreat. Uh, yoga teacher training is starting today. And those who are with us online as well. I'd like to start with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Prayer Demands from Yogananda. This is the man, demand to travel by the one highway of realization. Our one, our one Father, we are traveling by many true paths toward the one abode of light. Show us the one highway of common realization where all bypaths of theological beliefs meet. Make us feel that the diverse religions are branches of thy one tree of truth. Bless us that we enjoy the intuition-tested, ripe, luscious fruits of self-knowledge hanging from the many branches of true scriptural teachings. In thy one temple of silence, we all sing to thee a chorus of many-voiced religions. Teach us to chant in harmony with thy love's manifold expressions, that our chorus of souls rouse thee to break thy vow of cosmic silence and lift us unto thy lap of universal, immortal understanding. I'd like to share this morning some inspiration that I've been tuning into for the last few months. And that's the life of a great soul who was born in Ecuador and became a Catholic priest there. And it's very fitting to this topic today because there's, there's two or three themes here that I'd like to weave through this as we share this inspiration. The first is one, what does a life look like that's completely dedicated to God and how does the divine support us in that life? So the first things first, as we see in the Bible. And this man's life was a real example of that, just as our teacher, Swami Kriyananda's life was like that. The second theme in here is a little more broader one, and it relates to the reading of the Bhagavad Gita, of those that worship lesser gods goes to those gods, and those that worship me come to me. I don't want to pick it up so much on the string of the... It's often used to say those that look after material things, will find those and not God. But even in the search for God, there's various levels and there's a need to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the truth. And this was a fundamental teaching of Yogananda's. It was one of the parts of his aims and ideals to say that the true teachings of Christianity and the Bhagavad Gita all lead to the same one underlying truth and that that one highway to the infinite which all religions are trying to bring us on is that highway of deep, silent, daily meditation. And so this is another, this, this theme of trying to go deeper into each of the religions is another very important theme today. And then there's a third theme that's kind of fun, and that's just the interweaving of the divine story of how this man in Ecuador's life is entwined with Ananda. And it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful Leela. And we'll sort of start there. And it's like, why, why are we tuning into this priest from Ecuador? First, I'll introduce you. This is, this is uh, <coughs> Cesar de Avila. And he's known, he was, a, he was a priest. So he's known as Father de Avila, or in Spanish, the Padre de Avila. So I'll be referring to him simply me, simply me, simply as a Padre. <laughs> But so we got involved in this that um, earlier this year, uh, 
we received at the Sangha office an invitation from this group. The group is called the Association of Escuela de Autorización, or the School of the Association of School of Self-Realization. And they sponsor an event every year called the Sattva Siete, or Seven Days of Sattva. And it's a cultural celebration where they try to expand out of their own group and invite people to come. Last year, they invited a Sufi to come. And this year, they were looking for something more in the path of self-realization. So they wrote, they found Jyotish and Devi online, I think through the Spanish website. And they said, oh, these would be great people. And they invited them to come to this these days in August. And they couldn't come. But Jyotish and Devi passed it on to Bhakti Mark, who helps run the Spanish ministry. And she said, well, they don't come, but we can come. And we actually speak Spanish. So we can come and participate. And here's who we are. And here's what we do. And so the man organizing this said, yeah, this looks really good. And so they invited us to come. And we, they paid our way there. And they invited us to give a series of talks on divine uh, qualities over these series of seven days. And what was interesting is that there had been many little threads interweaving between these two groups that this man didn't even know about until we got there, until we really started talking. And it, the most fun one is it comes back to 1952. Uh, the Padre de Avila was interested, or 1953, was interested in learning more about Kriya Yoga after reading the autobiography of a yogi. And he wrote to Self-Realization Fellowship asking if he could learn more about this or what he had read in the autobiography. And the letter to Self-Realization Fellowship was answered by none other than Donald Walters. <laughs> and Donald Walters wrote back to him and put him in touch with Senor Cuaron, which was the chief disciple of master in Mexico, the one who had translated the autobiography. And then the padre and Senor Cuaron had a very, very long correspondence. And that's how he learned about Kriya Yoga. We'll get into that a little bit more in the, in the future. Uh, another, and fast forward a few years, where things really came back into close connection was in the mid-1990s, one of the chief uh, students of the padre, named, who was also a priest, who was named padre or father Edgar, Aguilar, Edgar Aguilar, Father Edgar, was studying in Italy. And he had learned Kriya Yoga through Padre Davila, and he really enjoyed the cosmic chants that were part of what they sung. And the Padre Davila had a record. And the record was Swami Kriyananda <laughs> chanting the cosmic chants. It was, you know, the vinyl disc. And when he was going to Italy, he said, oh, can I please make a copy of this? Because I know I won't have any contact with these teachings in Italy, and I really like to hear these chants. So he made Swami Kriyananda's cosmic chants. He's playing them. He's in Padua, and in a bookstore, what does he find? He finds books by Kriyananda, translated into Italian, about the teachings. And he goes, wow, Kriyananda here. And then he looks, wow, he has a center in Assisi. So he went to visit Assisi. And then he happened to come in September 1996, just when we were about to inaugurate the Temple of Light. So he just came. He didn't tell anybody who he was. He just came. And he was you know, just there observing and tuning into this other path of Kriya Yoga and enjoying things. And he was actually at his third. They were doing some series of talks in the 
leading up to a, a temple dedication, which is going to be a couple weeks later. And so it was his last day there. He was at lunchtime, and Shivani sat down in front of him. <laughs> and they started talking, and they said, you know, you're not, uh, you're speaking Italian, but you're not Italian. No. Where are you from? Ecuador. Oh. You're a priest. Yes. You're interested in meditation. Yes. You're interested in Kriya Yoga? Yes, I practice Kriya Yoga. I've been practicing Kriya Yoga since 1980. And Shivani sort of looked up and they started having a further conversation and he said, okay, wait, I'm sure Swami Kriyananda would like to meet you. He was about to leave that day, but he postponed his, his departure. And Swami did have an a interview with him. They talked about all kinds of different things. They talked about the Padre. And Swami ended up inviting Padre Edgar to the dedication of the temple and said, I'd like you to speak and help us dedicate our new temple. And Edgar was a little taken aback because he was, he was in his 30s and he said, well, you know, who am I to speak at this temple? And he said, what should I talk about? And Swami told him, just speak from your heart. And so he actually rearranged his whole schedule, came back in two weeks, was able to speak at the dedication and gave a wonderful homily about the interreligious cooperation, the need for meditation, Kriya Yoga that he had learned. And at this point, Ram was there as well, and he contacted Bhakti Marg and said, there's this group in Ecuador that we should connect with, that they have, you know, they practice Kriya Yoga inside the Catholic Church. <laughs> so then Bhakti Marg wrote to Ecuador, and the Padre Avila answered and wrote, there were a couple letters exchanged between them, and he actually wanted to come and visit Ananda. And it turns out this was in 1998 when they were having this correspondence, and this was a time where it wasn't, uh, there was a lot going on here at Ananda. It didn't quite work out for him to visit, and so he never actually did come to Ananda, and he passed away in 1999. But there was one last really fun part of the story, and that's in, in 1998 when he knew he was about to pass away. The Padre took one last trip to, the, to Europe and to the Holy Land, and he was in Assisi because he felt a really great connection with, with St. Francis. And he was with a tour of pilgrims. And when, after they were leaving Assisi, he said to Edgar, so where's Swami Kriyananda's ashram? Let's go visit him. And he said, well, it's, you know, it's down this road. And so they took their bus up to the corner of that part of Assisi, and lo and behold, here's this stone arch that doesn't allow large buses to go through. And so it didn't work for them to be able to drive all the way around. And you said, okay, you know, it's the will of God, maybe not this time. And they went back to Rome, and those two never did actually get to meet together. But it's, it's a very fun story of how this is all intertwined. Anyway, back to the life of uh, Padre Avila. So he's born in 1910 in Ecuador, and for those of you who are geographically challenged, Ecuador is a small country about the size of Colorado on the west coast of the South American continent, near the northern part between Colombia on the north and Peru on the east and south, and the ocean on the west. And it's a country of very high mountains and very diverse ecosystems. It goes from tropical ocean on the coast and another 90 miles inland, you're up at 20,000 feet peaks. So it's a, a very diverse country that typically has been very separate because of these mountains. It wasn't very easy to walk around. Just a fun fact, the Ecuadorians will tell you they actually have the highest mountain on earth because 
the Earth is an oblate spheroid. It's, it's bulges at the middle. And so if you measure the height of mountains from the center of the Earth to the Earth's surface, they actually have the highest mountains. <laughs> so, but, so El Padre was born in a, in a small town in Ecuador, and he was one of those people that came in seeking God. And he didn't really know it, or but, well, he did. He was drawn to the church. He used to to lead his friends in processions. He used to play at the mass. He would set up altars. And surprise, he went into the, the seminary at a very young age. He became a priest uh, at the age of 23. He began serving in uh, parishes around rural Ecuador. His first parishes were not reachable by road. In the 1930s, it took him 15 days on a horse to make his rounds through his parish there. But he was always you know, just serving and always wanting to know more. He, uh, in 1939, he decided to continue his studies and he actually went to Columbia, where he enrolled in a Doctor of Theology program at one of the most renowned universities in Columbia and Bogota. And he studied uh, the branch of theology known as sacred dogma. And this is actually dogma in this sense. We always, it's, for us, dogma is not a particularly <laughs> Good word, but <laughs> in the Catholic Church, the tradition is the dogma is what the real basis of the faith is. It's the real foundation, the rational basis that they study of, of how, how this all makes sense intellectually. So he studied there for seven or eight years, had, was a brilliant student. He, he wrote a brilliant thesis, presented it. 1947, he came back to Ecuador. He was given another uh, parish to serve. Uh, also in a fairly rural area, and then eventually moved into more into the Quito area. He was always on fire for God. He wanted to share the teachings of the Catholic Church, the teachings of Christ. He helped build churches. He actually founded, on his own accord, a radio station called the Light of America, Luz de America. And he bought the transmitter himself and hired people, and he would, he would transmit through the radio the message of, of Christ's Ecuador, which was a very new thing. He, people were going, well, wait a minute, how come they can't come to the church? You know, what's this with the radio? But he was, you know, very innovative and in wanting to do these things. But he wasn't, he wasn't at all discontent with his life in the church. He was, you know, serving as he could. But an event happened in 1952 that completely changed his life, especially as he tells it. And at that point, there was a pundit from India Pandit Bekpata Sinha, who came from India, was a disciple of Gandhi's, who had studied with Gandhi's, and then after Gandhi's death, was teaching around the world, and he had a two-week stay in Quito. And for some reason, this caught the uh, Padre Avila's attention, and he went and heard this man speak. And he said, as soon as I met him, after the first lecture, I knew that something was going to change in my life, that this man who had never studied theology, never knew the books, was closer to God than I was. And I could feel that. I could look into his eyes. I could sense that. I knew that this man had something I wanted. So he learned to meditate, a very simple meditation technique. He said, during the two weeks he was there, I didn't separate myself from his side. I was with him all the time. The pundit didn't speak English, and the pundit didn't speak Spanish. But somehow there was enough translation. There was enough teachings he learned for the first time in his life, heard about gurus, chakras, karma, the nerve channels, meditation, 
first time in his life. When the pundit left, he never actually came back to Ecuador. The Padre Avila never saw him again in his life, but he had been awakened. He said, my life changed completely. Every aspect of my life was different. I knew I had to go on a different path. So he started looking for all the books he could possibly find on the Eastern teachings, and it brought him to Bogota, to a, uh, he went back there because they had better bookstores, and he found the autobiography of a yogi. He also found a, trans a translation of Whispers from Eternity. He also studied the Gospel of Ramakrishna. He studied the Buddhism. You know, whatever he could find, he just dove in. While he was still doing his, his duties as a parish priest in the Catholic Church. But he spent most of his time either meditating or reading, 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 studying these things. This is when he wrote to SRF, and he was put in contact with Senor Cuaron by Swami, and they had a long correspondence, and Cuaron visited Mexico, gave him initiation into Kriya, helped him with teachings, and one of the things of these, these great lives who are always interested in, in focusing on God, they also want to share it, just like Swami, and the, the Padre Avila was always wanting to share, and so he would he would always be telling the, his fellow priests about all this that was going on and trying to convince them that this was a really good thing to do and introducing them to Quaron and giving them copies of the book. And there was some resonance, but you know, the 1950s in Ecuador, not so much. And so he, you know, he kind of just did what he did and continued to practice Kriya, to do this, and really didn't have that much of a, a work, an outer work at that time. He was mainly doing a period of intense sadhana and fulfilling his role in the Catholic Church and starting to think about how these two things fit together. There's a really fun story from this time that, that works with our first things first and seek ye first and all these things shall be added unto you. So he was a, he was a priest doing what he was doing in 1962 and he had a dream with Yogananda. And then Yogananda came to him in this dream and gave him, showed him a lottery ticket with a number on it. <laughs> and he remembered vividly in the dream the, the first three numbers of this lottery ticket. He didn't really pay, pay much attention because he had never bought a lottery ticket and he wasn't someone who played the lottery. But the next day, he was driving in his car in the central square of Quito and a young hawker, a person who sells lottery tickets, came up to him to his car window and showed him a ticket that was, I don't know, sort of a half of a big group of tickets or something. And he recognized the first three numbers on there immediately. And he bought the ticket. And he won the grand prize in the lottery. <laughs> so with that money, he was able to take some time off from the church. He actually, what did he do? He went on pilgrimage. He didn't go on pilgrimage to India. He went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land and to Europe. And he spent six months abroad. He traveled throughout the Holy Land. He went to visit Rome. He went to look at the at St. Francis. He went to Assisi to tune into the saints of Christendom and to further in his, in his work and his understanding. So then about 1960, he came back to Ecuador and continued doing what he was doing, continued to rise in the church. He was, he was appointed to be on, I know the church, the church is a very venerable institution. It's been around for 2,000 years, and they have 
all kinds of structure and hierarchy and offices and titles, none of which I understand being Spanish, especially uh, being American, especially not being Catholic, as I want to say, and especially in Spanish. So anyway, he was appointed to some councils, and he was a judge of a something, and he became the... <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> and he, be he became the, the librarian for the, the bishop's library in Quito. So it wasn't like he was, you know, just sort of wasting away in the provinces. I mean, they recognized the, who this man was. So in 1968, when he was in the library in Quito, in walked a young man named uh, Pablo Jaramillo. And he said, you know, Father, I've heard you know something about yoga. And he said, yes, and I want you to teach me. And so from that moment on, he really started his out, more outward sharing because this was the late 60s. What else happened in 68? <laughs> Guess what? Swami Kriyananda, 68, yoga here. So this was an outpouring the youth Youth were looking for and more interested in these things, and they were looking for where they could. So with the, with the help of Pablo and his wife, the, the Padre de Avila started teaching more, started meeting especially young people, sort of touching their lives and bringing them to the practice of yoga. And during this time, he had distilled lots of these practices, especially those of Yogananda and self-realization, and had a, you know, had a very good handle on how to teach, he was teaching hatha yoga, pranayama, meditation, and in, in including bringing people toward Kriya. And at this point, Quaron uh, had passed away, but brothers from Self-Realization Fellowship would come and periodically give Kriya initiation. And so he, he f ended up founding an organization because they started having centers, and he started writing books, and you know, really started going outward. He had a dream at one point with Yogananda where he was with this huge multitude of people in a big valley, and he could sense that these were all high seekers in this thing. And down from the heavens came this huge, um, um, oh yeah, and it's Spanish, uh, <laughs> this huge incense burner, our big, um, I don't know what you call a big incense burner in English, but anyway, it's a... <laughs> a large thing with all this, these clouds of incense coming out of it. And then Yogananda was speaking to the whole crowd. And at the end of this, Yogananda called him to come up. And he said, you know, me? Because he felt like he was among all these other great souls. And he said, you will be in charge of bringing all these people to God. And so, you know, he gradually got the message that there's more that I'm supposed to be doing here than just being a parish priest. And he gradually was able to embrace this and to move into his teachings. There's a couple other uh, fun stories about um, one of the things that happens when you're in tune with God is God helps in many, many different ways, and there's a certain power that comes. So not only on the physical plane, but on the keeping the body sound and things. So he was a he was a real yogi. He practiced all the hatha yoga techniques and a very you know physical cultures. So he was not a young man at this time. So this is 1970s. He's you know he's 50 years old or more but he was a very robust person. One time he was driving in the, in the mountains of Ecuador, and, uh, which had roads that are not so good. It was raining, and it ended up, uh, he broke an axle on the back of his car and went careening off the road, you know, down some 250 feet down into this ravine. And he said, 
he felt he was protected. He felt this blue light. He chanted Om. He saw Yogananda. But when he came back to consciousness, there was something like over his, his face, and he realized it was his scalp. His scalp had come, been completely sheared off. It was only held on by four or five inches left here. So he said, well, I calmly realized that this was my scalp. And so <laughs> I, I put it back on my head like I would. Uh, like I would a hat, and I climbed up out of the ravine and was taken to the hospital. And it turns out that a devotee of his was, a student of his was there at the hospital to help sew him up or to, to receive him. And he said, I don't want to lose consciousness. Please don't give me any anesthesia. And the surgeon who was there, you know, had this long argument with him and said, you have to. And he said, no, it's okay. And this other doctor vouched for him. He said, he's a yogi. He can control his energy. That if he moves at all, I'm giving him anesthesia. So he sewed him back up, and he walked off the operating table, went into his room, sat down to meditate rather than getting into bed. One month later, he was doing a headstand again. So God works. Through <laughs> so the other part that uh, great souls, great lights often have is some persecution, and you can see again, this is a Swami's life and the Padre's life. So he was, for many times, in the 70s, he was a center for self-realization fellowship in Ecuador. And then he started writing books. He started founding this Asociación and having more students. And at one point, Self-Realization Fellowship said, well, are you Self-Realization Fellowship, or are you with the Catholic Church, or are you with the Asociación? And he said, I don't see any conflict between these at all. And he actually went to Mount Washington and had an interview with Dayamata, and they decided that it, they should split, which is actually a really good thing because, like Swami, he had his own mission to do, and it wasn't to be just another center of self-realization fellowship. He had a much more profound mission, and that was integrating, bringing the Catholic faith down to its essences, to that one true highway being able to ground that and to integrate all those things because he never ever left being a Catholic priest and for him you know he was a doctor of sacred dogma I mean he spent a long time immersing himself in the Catholic Church and that was really his home and he felt Christ is is the master of masters Christ is my master it's a living presence that I have in my life the other masters I recognize them but my master is Christ and Christ through what's been given me through the church. And so he gradually worked on integrating these things. And he had a lot of persecution. There were the bishops that were around him, didn't quite understand what he was doing, why he was going outside the Catholic Church, why he was looking at these other, other masters, other religions. And he just, you know, he would like Swami, was one of great willpower and was not one to hide. He was one of great courage. He just calmly wrote letters to all the bishops explaining what he was doing. It wasn't like he tried to, to fade away. Gradually, he found a, a voice of support. And the, the lucky thing was, this voice of support was the cardinal of Ecuador. Now, the cardinal, for those who aren't Catholic, the cardinals are the, they're at the top. They're the, the college of cardinals are the ones that elect the pope. They're the, you know, the inheritors of the, apostolic creed, and they're the ones that run the show. So <coughs> Pablo Munoz Vega, his name, was a, 
I think he had a Jesuit background, was a great, uh, took great inspiration from the life of St. Augustine. And so he had a, this inner life. He had read St. Augustine and was trying to live that. And the Padre and Davila and him understood each other. And he was invited to be able to come to one of the, um, to inaugurate one of his centers. And he wrote, put something in writing saying that, you know, there are very few in the Catholic Church who will have the intuition to know the great benefit that this work is going to bring to the church. But I give it my full support. There is nothing that he is doing that is against the faith of the Catholic Church. He wrote out five points. He said, these are the points where you can establish schools, and this is how they will integrate with the church. He said, the, the stream of Catholicism can mix easily with the clear stream of the school of autorealization. So from that point onward, he had his, you know, he had his card. So if somebody, <laughs> if somebody came to bother him or to, to try to do something, he would, he would show them this. The other thing that he really depended on here was the, the, second, the second Vatican Council. So the, the Vatican Council and that was convened in the 60s was an effort to reform and to bring the church into the modern era. And one of the things that was contained in that was a section on ecumenism, ecumenical, ecumenical, reaching out to other churches. <laughs> and there was a one part in there that uh, Padre Avila found, and again, used this as his, you know, his card, his, his way to get through. So let me read this to you, because it's, it's actually important for us to keep in mind, too, as we look at this, this, this uh, part of Master's teachings of going deeper in each religion and not just saying everyone's going to become part of Self-Realization Fellowship. So this one says, The Church, therefore, exhorts her sons that through dialogue and collaboration with the followers of other religions, carried out with prudence and love, and in witness to the Christian faith and life, they recognize, preserve, and promote the good things, spiritual and moral, as well as the socio-cultural values found among these men. So obviously this was a, a ticket for the Padre Avila to bring his teachings together. And it's interesting how he never tried to say it's a question of meeting part way. It was really what we were talking about in the Bhagavad Gita, finding what is the essence below these forms? What is that true essence that we share and that we can reach out through meditation? His teachings were always those of meditation. If you want to know God, meditate. If you want to know Christ, meditate. If you want to have a deeper understanding of your own life, meditate. It was always what he was about. And he, all these young people that were coming to him weren't so sure about the Catholic Church. They were, you know, this was more a rejection of this dogma but he came across with such magnetism, such love, such friendship, similar to Swamiji, that he magnetized those people, came in. And many of the people that came in the 70s as teenagers or very young people, we met in Ecuador. Many of them told us their stories, and they're very inspiring stories. That we actually visited, I forgot to say that one, we actually visited the group in, in Panama before we went to Ecuador, uh, a couple years before, because we heard there was a group there. The head of the group there said, I was into drugs, I was a young man, I was rebellious, and at one point my wife asked me to accompany my mother-in-law to some seminar that was happening about a, 
a new a new Eucharistic understanding. And I said, oh my God, what's this? And, but okay, I'll do it. So he accompanied his mother-in-law to a talk that Padre Avila gave. And he didn't even sit down. He just sort of sat in the back and looked at his watch and, okay, let's get this over with. The next day, he went out to the beach where he was actually over overseeing some work there. And his ritual was to get his workers going then to retire to the beach and take some drugs and have a good time. So he prepared his drugs there and he was sitting there and all of a sudden this, this voice came to him which was from the lecture and he said, if you follow your breath, pronouncing J, He on the in breath and Sus on the out breath, Jesus as a mantra, He, Sus, it will change your life. You will reach a calmness, you'll reach a peace that you didn't think was possible, and it will completely leave aside all your problems. And this came to him, he said, well, all right, why not? I'll try it. So he just sat there, and for 15 minutes he did hey, sus. And effectively, he felt a peace, he felt something, he felt something there that he had never felt before, and he gave up drugs, he became part of the, the Padre Avila Escuela. He actually ended up being the leader of the school. So he, he, you know, he brought these young people in in any way that he could. Mainly, mainly it was through his own magnetism and his teachings, but not so much the Catholic Church. But at the same time, he was trying to say, you know, what is it in the Catholic Church that, you know, bring that, that understanding together? One of the things, there's pictures of him everywhere. He's always celebrating Mass. Wherever he went, he went to Machu Picchu, he celebrated Mass. He went to the top of the mountain, he was doing Mass. He went to, to the beach, he was doing the Holy Eucharist, uh, the Communion. And he would you know, give that to his, his, these young people, his followers, too. And what he said was, his teachings to this, his understanding was that this is, this is a blessing of Christ made material, that that divine consciousness has come into the material world and we are partaking of that material thing. It's making part of us. And this sacred ceremony that has been going on for 2,000 years is a way that we can feel more, that we can tune into that Christ. He also talked about the crucifix. And for a long time in their centers, they didn't have any, they didn't have crucifixes, but in the 1980s, he started tuning more into that part of the, the teachings. He said, you know, the cross is the fundamental symbol of, of Christianity. It's in all our teachings, it's in all our things. And, you know, there's the, the crucifix. And, and he started relating more and more to that. He wrote a book called uh, My, My Sister Death and Tales of the, or um, Teachings of the Other Side, where he synthesized a lot about death and these different things. And, he at that, he, in that point, he started tuning into the crucifix, and he actually had a crucifix. He commissioned one with a very well-known artist, and it was, at first sight, a pretty typical crucifix. I mean, we went to the center in Panama, and we walked in, not really knowing much about this group, and here are the masters on the wall, Yukteswar, Babaji, Christ, Yogananda, and Padre Avila, and then up above this is a four or five-foot crucifix of, you know, crown of thorns, blood, wounds, the whole thing. And it's, you know, at first for us, this was like, whoa. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the same thing, we went to where we were doing our seminar in Guayaquil in their chapel, they had this crucifix. But then 
tuning in more to this and reading some of the things that, especially the Padre Edgar had written, that he said, I chose this crucifix, or I wanted it made this way for a number of reasons. So the, the gaze of Christ is looking upwards. He has a very serene face, and he's looking into the, he has a, as he called it, the attitude of prayer, an attitude of communion with that divine. And then he has his arms open. He's still embracing all the faithful. He's getting us to come. And he said, what is our life if not other than between paradise and suffering? And you know, our life here on earth is it's unsatisfactory. It's suffering, as the Buddha said. And so he interpreted this saying, you know, it's not the bloody things happen. It's, it's let's look at this as, a, as our suffering, but there's another way out. He also interpreted it as saying that, you know, this is the sacrifice of the masters. This is, uh, you know, as we say in the festival, greater can no sacrifice be than this to willingly embrace limitation, pain, and death. And so he really started promoting those symbols as well. And it was met with some resistance among his students. They were trying to convince him to say, look, you know, let's not put this on the cover of the books and let's not necessarily have this. But like Swami, he had intuition, he had inspiration. He was pretty fixed in where he was going and, and what he was doing with that. So I'm, uh, I'm running out of time here. There's lots, there's lots of other stories, but I think the most important thing for us to, to look at with these lives in God is just that it's uh, when you're totally dedicated, when you've, you are seeking first things first, you're, you're just caught up in this current. Just as Swami says, I never felt like I did any of this. The Padre Davila also said, I never felt it was me doing these things. I just felt Christ was using me and pushing me to reach others, to bring others to this teachings, which has so much touched my life. And it's the same thing for us. We can just get ourselves out of the way, get our focus in the right place, and sit back and enjoy the, the play. I mean, this is Babaji's play. This is Christ's play. Anyway, they, they're writing the script, and we're just the actors, just like Swamiji, just like the Padre de Avila. And if we can play our part in that, not only will we be brought to self-realization, tune in to where we are, but we can also help in that divine drama. Because, you know, where, where does Padre Avila's mission go from here? I would like to say this is the opening, that in the church there are lots of people interested in meditation. There are lots of people looking for deep inner communion. He actually, in the later years of his life, he tried to found uh, an order, an order of contemplative prayer. He actually went through five iterations of, of correspondence with the Vatican, trying to follow all their rules of what had to happen if you were going to be in order and putting in the right language and doing all this. And I think it just sort of ran out of steam because he died and nobody really picked it back up. But I fully expected at some point in the future, as Master said, self-realization will become the religion of the future. And that means all the religions will find that one true highway. And this pioneer here, Swami Kriyanan is a pioneer, all those will feed in. And if we open ourselves up and play our part, we also will feed into that stream and help bring about the upliftment of consciousness, which is Babaji's mission to this world. <laughs>